This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 3, the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hunt Freestyle Friday is upon us. Very exciting stuff, I know. Oh, the protesters. The protesters continue on. So much to work with here. You gotta love it. I mean, it's terrible, but it's very amusing to see uh, the Democrat media now sort of scrambling to find ways to describe what's happening as anything other than the tantrum of a bunch of uh, spoiled children, uh, rioters, destroying property. Th- there's so much here that just befuddles. For example, the riots that have occurred. Oh, and here we, here we have a uh, CNN.com reporting on this. Anti-Trump protesters march for third night. Portland police call it a, quote, riot. I'm pretty sure that if the police are calling it a riot... We can just refer to it as a riot. Media hasn't learned very much over the course of this election. I think they've learned nothing. In fact, they're probably doubling down on a lot of the stuff that was so uh, distasteful and disgraceful over the course of of the election. They were exposed. They were hyper-partisan. They thought that Trump was such a danger to the republic that they would cast off even the pretense of objectivity as journalists in order to push their hand on the scale for one side wasn't enough that's what they thought they would do and now as i look at this i see we have this repeating uh, this repeating of obfuscation muddying the waters making it more difficult to see exactly what's happening here just like with the black lives matter protests they kept referring to them as mostly peaceful protests and which is a fascinating construct when you think about it. Very few other times in American, let's say in contemporary American life, could you have large groups of people gathering, throwing rocks at police officers, Molotov cocktails, burning down stores, looting stores, and it would be and, and the evening's events would be referred to as mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful. Okay. I'm um, I'm glad that that's now the context in which they'll put these kinds of things, only, of course, for favored groups. You have to think, who are they going to offend by calling what's going on in Portland, what has been going on in Portland, a riot? 
who were the media so concerned with with turning off by speaking honestly about what this is? The Portland police say it's a riot. Guess what? It's a riot. There's no need for quotation marks. There's no need for uh, this soft peddling of the issue. So you got people rioting. One of the things that strikes me right away is that, yeah, here we go, and on the same piece, what started out as a peaceful march with more than 4,000 people quickly turned violent. Oh, they all start out as peaceful marches, don't they? If a march starts out as peaceful, let me ask you something. If, if you went out to a bar and got into a bar fight, and at the end of it, a bottle was cracked over someone's head, do you think people would describe your evening as a mostly peaceful night out at the bar? I don't, I don't think so. But only with these uh, favored groups do we see this effort to try to come up with creative ways to distract from the real essence of what's going on here, which is that Democrat voters, members of the Democrat base, left-wing progressives, social justice warriors are trying to show the country that they reject the results of a duly constituted and executed U.S. presidential election. They just, they reject. I'm sitting here thinking to myself about all the pieces I had to read, all of the indignant pieces from the media about how Trump supporters, first of all, are so violent. Oh, yeah? I've seen a lot of violence from anti-Trump people. Not a surprise. Uh, The Trump supporters are violent and... Quite honestly, I think there are many people across the country who, even when Trump would say things like, get him out of here, you know, we're sick of constantly being the ones, we being Republicans. We're sick of being the ones who have their rallies shut down, who have their events shut down, who have their speakers kicked off campus, who have their speakers attacked. The last time you heard of a progressive speaker shouted down, Speech ended on a college campus. I, I can't think of one. I can think of plenty of, of conservatives, plenty of Republicans. And I think there were those out there who said, you know what? We're sick of it. We are sick of it. And therefore, willing, we're willing to overlook what are clearly some, well, some personal foibles, perhaps you'd call them, if you wanted to be generous, with regard to Donald Trump. But when he's saying, get him out of here, get him out of here. Yeah, I think we are tired of the babies. And the worst, because babies actually can't hurt you. We're tired of these uh, pseudo-anarchists, these rabid uh, left-wing trustafarians running around. His parents are still paying their bills in one way or another, throwing rocks and bottles, Molotov cocktails, doing all this stuff. And without a trace of irony, they're doing this in cities that overwhelmingly voted for Hillary Clinton. I mean, you go down the list of where all of this is happening... And Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Denver, Minneapolis, Baltimore, Oakland, California, Oakland, sorry, Oakland's in California. Uh, These are all Democrat strongholds. So they're kicking in windows and they're lighting things on fire in neighborhoods full of people who voted for Hillary Clinton. And this is supposed to do what exactly? You'll notice that the media doesn't have disdain for this. Now, and this is very insulting, but this is what's happening. Now the media is playing this game of, well, if you understood the frustration of Trump voters, you should understand the frustration of anti-Trump protesters. No, that's not how it works. 
the frustration of Trump voters was channeled into an election. Yeah, maybe it was mean and ugly sometimes and nasty things were said, but Trump voters showed up and voted. Anti-Trump protesters are just destroying things and pouting because they didn't get their way. These are, these are not equivalent. This is not similar. These are not things that we get to compare and say, well, they, we've got ours and they've got theirs. No, the emotionalism of the progressive left is constantly on display. But when you look at the political movements in this country that are respected by the media and that are giving, given a major platform and that are invited onto national news shows to have their say and that are coddled by this administration, I do think, as an aside, one of the unspoken motivating forces for a lot of Trump voters, and I'm sure they'd speak about it if you asked them, but uh, that, that hasn't received as much attention. Yeah, it was about jobs, about the economy. Uh, but when we say things like also political correctness, that it was a pushback against political correctness, what we're saying there as well is it's a pushback against this uh, bizarre world we're now living in, in this country, where we're supposed to treat Black Lives Matter as though it's a respectable political movement that doesn't have really uh, terrible incidents directly attached to it, represented by it. Uh, why is that the case? Why do we have to sit around and, and act like Black Lives Matter is, is worthy of our respect? It's, it's a group full of hysteria and a lot of animus, animus towards the cops, Animus towards more than just the cops. You look at the numbers, less than 50, less than 50 black Americans killed, what was it, last year or perhaps it was the year before, by cops in this country under circumstances that weren't immediately obvious to be self-defense by the police officer. So 50 people killed in a country of 320 million, and that gives tens of thousands of others the right to burn down stores, ruin people's livelihoods terrorize people, throw rocks at police officers. Just think of the cost alone in overtime. This is something I'm familiar with from my time at the NYPD. When cops got to stay out all night and, and babysit these clowns, very expensive. I know people don't think of it in these terms, but OT bills for police departments are enormous. Enormous. So they really do incur a cost. And when they shut down freeways and highways, I'm sure there are people who are trying to get to important places, either for work or for health reasons. Perhaps there's an ambulance stuck in traffic. We never hear about that. We just hear about how dedicated these protesters are to what exactly? What do they want? It's a valid question. If someone's out there protesting and they say, you know, I want a four-day work week, you know what? I might be like, I'm kind of with you on this. I like this idea. I know that economically it would make us less competitive and that other people would just work five days. And so it's not really workable, but maybe we could get enough buy-in. I kind of dig this four-day work week thing. Thanks for your protest. Some people protest things that have an outcome that they're trying or, or protest things that they're hoping to change the outcome of. They're trying to institute a new policy. They're trying to change thinking on something. A protest today for what? So that people don't vote for Trump in four years? It's done. There's nothing else really to say about it for them right now. He's not even the president yet. And, you, and I know that people are all oh, free speech. Yeah, of course, they can say these things, but I can also say that they're idiots, and they are. The people marching in the streets here in New York City that I saw walking down the streets, screaming profanity and yelling 
again, in hysterical fashion about how they're, they think they're going to be rounded up and put in camps and uh, all of these terrible things are going to happen to them because Trump is president. I kind of wanted to pull them aside and say, you realize that Trump is not really very conservative. He's not a uh, he's not a big culture wars guy in the sense that he's particularly re- religious and wants to you know, infringe upon whatever these sort of pseudo anarchists think are, are their individual rights or whatever the case may be. Their collectivist rights. It's going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty standard stuff. Perhaps the dirty secret of this election is that there's going to be a fair amount of status quo, no matter what. Not that much is going. Is Trump going to change anything on entitlements? No. Is uh, Trump going to slash government spending such that we start to get the debt under control? Maybe. Never really talked about it. What is he going to do that is so horrific and terrifying to these people? I really want to know what what the answer to that is. He's not going to start a nuclear war with Sweden because you know he's thinks IKEA is overrated. I mean, he's not going to do that. It won't happen. Other people in government won't allow it to happen. The American people won't allow it to happen. What is this tremendous fear? He's going to go. He's going to go after people personally. Uh, he's, he's got an enemies list. I've, I've heard this too. He is going to be absolutely besieged by the media. Absolutely besieged. Not even from day one. Before day one, they're going to do everything in their power to undermine him, make him look foolish, make him look bad. They want a Richard Nixon. This guy so badly they can taste it, and he hasn't even been sworn in. People are crying in the streets. Adults are crying. Oh, whatever. You know, if you're going to cry because you thought you were going to be, you know, deputy assistant secretary of state for climate change, and now that's not going to happen, and so you're going to be like an adjunct professor somewhere, okay, that's, you know, it's rough. It's a paycheck. You got to feed your family. I mean, I get that. But you're going to cry because you think Trump is coming for you? What about this guy screams, I'm going to, I'm going to kick in your door and come after you? I just have never really understood that. And I think maybe part of it is that I, as I've told you, I had interactions, many interactions with the Trumps growing up. And, you know, they're relative for, for Manhattan. They're a pretty normal family. I can tell you that. Ivanka's really nice. Her brothers are nice. They're good people. They're not, you think they're going to let their dad, uh, what, round up gay people in this country? I mean, the stuff that I was, the stuff that I was saying or seeing uh, said during the protest, I just want to... Part of me was angry because it's so dumb and dis- and destructive. But part of me also wanted to pull up a side and be like, yo, home slice, it's going to be okay. It's really not that bad. And and I'm I'm actually going to make sure it's not that bad. There There is nothing that I want for this country that these people out on the streets uh, that's going to ruin their life or be terrible or nothing. I mean, they dis- they would maybe disagree on that point, but I know that that's... <laughs> that's not the case. You know, uh, a simpler, fairer tax code. Look, I, I want Trump. The one thing I want Trump to to uh, flip-flop on is I actually do want him to do a fair tax. Or a flat tax. I'd take either. Did You know, pick him. A or B. That's the one thing I hope he goes, you know what? Change my mind. I'm just going to do this. And I'd be like, yeah, go for it. So people will be paying less to the government in taxes. There'll be less... Uh, expansion, I would hope, of government than there would be under a Democrat president. 
But I sit here on Friday. I, I go back and forth between kind of chuckling a little bit about this and also being appalled. Like I'm chuckling at those who are, think that they need to sort of hide in their parents' basement and never leave again because Donald Trump is president and it's going to just be this long, dark night of fascism. And I'm annoyed because there are others who are out there who are destroying private property and acting like a bunch of barbarians. For what? What, give, what do they think gives them the right? And why is it that the media doesn't find this completely, dare I say, deplorable? Why, why aren't, oh, oh, we should hear their frustrations. This isn't frustrations. This is nonsense. This is anarchic. This is childish. It's self-indulgent. It's destructive and it's wrong. And it's all over the place. Go to a break. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. On the Blaze Radio Network. Ah, yes, the discourse of the protesters. The founding fathers would be so proud. People out there throwing bottles at police, rocks at police. You recall, actually, that one of our founders stood in defense of the British soldiers who, in response to a mob in Boston, opened fire. Um, Different times. Different times. Uh... But there are some out there who are acting like, acting like vandals, and they are threatening police. Here's a here's a little snapshot of what the protests were like in Chicago. Play it. Girl, get your 
Cal, that was speaking to a police officer, right? Yep. Yep. Is that correct? That's <laughs> yeah. He was speaking to a cop there. I just, I mean, I have the audio, but I didn't, I didn't get a chance to see the video beforehand. I just want to make sure he's speaking to a cop with all that. Yes, an officer of the law. Actually, a wall of cops. There was like ten of them. Yeah. So was, he was going up to like the cops that are sort of standing shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he started when he's like, "Oh, you mad?" He was like gyrating and getting yeah. in your face. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, mocking, taunting police officers because it's their fault that Donald Trump won the election. You know, that's that's really sensible. Uh, go up to law enforcement and uh, and act like a moron uh, because that's going to really show people. By the way. I've never been more confident that a Trump victory was necessary than I am now. <laughs> now that I see the way the left is acting about this and that the New York Times is is a farce the way they've covered the Trump victory. It, it is a farce. You, you couldn't make this stuff up. Uh, so I, I wanted Hillary to lose, which means I wanted Trump to win. But now I'm. Yeah. Yeah. This needed to happen. This needed to happen. A giant open-handed smack across the face to progressive America was completely necessary. It was necessary. It's actually, you know, for their own good uh, because they've been living in this delusion of eight years of Obamaism and thinking that that's going to go on forever and that all of their values will be reflected from the White House or really their sort of emotional impulses will be reflected from the White House and from top administration officials and from the rest of the senior echelons of government. Well, now the shoe's on the other foot. It's going to be an interesting four years. Be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. I'd really like to take a page from the elite New York, D.C. based media playbook here and let's engage with these pro. Let's not mock them. Let's not talk about how they've stolen the same protest slogans as Occupy Wall Street and that they proclaim their desire for socialism. Yet they probably don't even know that Karl Marx is from Germany. I mean, you know, you got a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to work with here. Um, they want to act like we should sit down and, and have this sort of uh, talk. Um, if only we were a little more, oh, a little more open-minded to their concerns, because Trump's people had concerns. They have concerns, too. Okay, yeah, let's see. What kind of discourse are these protesters and rioters offering up? Well, here's one at a campus somewhere doesn't even really matter because I'm sure he's not the only one uh, that thought it would be clever to uh, burn. And oh, this is an American university in D.C. It's the third best university in D.C. Um, burning a flag. Play it. Flag's burning right now. I know you can't see it. Like, 
Yeah, suck my bleep, he says, because that's really going to sway people to your side. Native Americans need to have clean water. This kid's at American University in D.C. That's at the top of his list, huh? That's keeping him up at night, the the drinking water of Native American populations in this country. Hmm, okay, interesting. He's not attaching himself to an issue of oppressed peoples for the purposes of virtue signaling, right? He wouldn't do that. That's so that's so petty and uh, so grotesque. I mean, it's it's supposed to be at that about them, but it's really about him. I mean, it, it wouldn't do that. Oh, no, he would do that. Oh, what a shock. This is what we get from these imbeciles. This is what we get. Instead of saying, OK, Trump is president. We're going to we're going to push for the following. We're going to look for areas of common ground. We're going to hold them to account on the following. And maybe progressives will all of a sudden rediscover individual rights and the reasons for things in our government uh, or the, the reasons that our government is set up the way that it is largely for the protection of minorities, not necessarily ethnic minorities, but also ethnic minorities from a tyranny of the majority. They may rediscover some of the genius of the founding if they actually just want to look into it a bit, but instead they actually want to undermine it, which is just so so clever, so cute. All of these pieces now, and I mean in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, everywhere, lots of, you know, what's with the Electoral College anyway? I just want to put out there for you, do any of you believe for a second that if Hillary Clinton had won but lost the popular vote, that there would be lots of very... uh, thought-provoking pieces out there about whether we still need the Electoral College. Oh, no. Oh, no. I think we would just move on to Hillary won. That's the system. Respect the system. I recall journalists being very upset during this election because they felt like fundamental institutions of America, whether it was the media or government or any number of things, were being undermined by the Trump campaign. And now here we have an election. We have people that are saying, Trump is not their president. They can say it until they're blue in the face. It doesn't make it true. He is. Unless they want to give up, they can renounce their citizenship. But if they're U.S. citizens, Donald Trump is going to be their president. They need to deal. They need to deal. Retreat to all the safe spaces they want, whatever else they've got in mind, I suppose. But you see the... uh, the elite media now saying electoral college. I mean, it's they're angry. Of course, it stole stole the election. They say from Gore in two thousand. Uh, they don't want to address the. Oh wait, I'm sorry. I, I I needed to read this to you. This is from the New York Times. Why do we have an electoral college? I'll get into some of the reasons for the electoral college in a second. This is what the New York Times offers. Quote above all. Some historians point to the critical role that slavery played in the formation of the Electoral College system. Southern delegates to the 1787 Constitutional Convention, most prominently James Madison of Virginia, were concerned that their constituents would be outnumbered by Northerners. The three-fifths compromise, however, allowed states to count each slave as three-fifths of a person, enough at the time to ensure a Southern majority in presidential races. On social media Wednesday... Some drew connections between that history and what they perceived as an imbalance in the Electoral College that favors Republicans. Quote, Electoral College will forever tip balance to rural, conservative, white, older voters, a concession to slaveholders originally. This is from Joyce Carol Oates. 
a woman celebrated for her fiction writing and a woman so stupid that she thought that Steven Spielberg was out hunting Triceratops and she was outraged. Outraged at his killing of Triceratops. Look, if somebody did kill a Triceratops, I'd be pretty outraged too. But there's a bit of a problem with that. Not one that she picked up on. Look it up on Twitter. You will see what I mean. One of the greatest tweets of all time. So, from her account, by the way, from her blue check verified account, Joyce Carol Oates. Oh, yeah. Google it. You'll love it. There's no discussion in here, of course, about what happens to states that are that are an essential part of our system. What happens to states that have small populations? All of a sudden, California, New York, Texas, but a few places across the country would determine the entirety of the national election. So what what say would you have at all if you lived in Wyoming and who the president would be unless there was a system in place such as it is to give all of the different states at least some say? Of course, they're wa- it is weighted by population, but it's not weighted enough. What you get into eventually with this, I mean, we could sort of look at the, what is it, Federalist 68, I believe, talks about the electors. And yes, they think it was Hamilton. It was written under Publius. But Hamilton was saying that we want to make sure that there's sort of a check on the on the people electing a demagogue so the electors will be there and essentially so they won't elect a monarch or Hitler in our more contemporary parlance but they won't elect a monarch uh, they won't elect somebody who becomes the an autocrat so even if the people get bamboozled even if the people are swindled the electors are there as sort of a a break on their passions uh we live in a we live in a republic, right? This is a representative form of government. If we really wanted to take this to its logical ends, we could say, well, why not just have direct democracy for everything? Why even have a legislative branch? We just need a few. We just need people to sort of propose things online, and then we all get to vote on it in some sort of a referendum. There are reasons for the. There are reasons that our government exists as it does, and it has been quite successful up to this point, but. The moment that it doesn't work in favor of leftist progressive collectivism, all of a sudden we need to we need a constitutional amendment or we need to just throw this out. We need to find some other way of organizing our government and its affairs. They'd like to pretend that this is based in some kind of principle, but I think we all know it's just a backlash that comes from their rage at not being handed power once again. All laws, I mean, our form of government is full of arbitrary decision. All laws at some point in them have an arbitrariness to them. The states themselves are arbitrary. The boundaries are arbitrary. How do we even come up with this? Why is, why is Rhode Island tiny and uh, Wyoming, you know, huge? Why is Texas, why isn't Texas three states? Why don't we carve California up into two pieces? You can have all the people that actually want to be left alone and pay low taxes can go up in the north and all the people that want a huge collectivist government and you know billions and billions of dollars spent on rail projects that will go nowhere in the south how about that why not why can't states just form other states all the time i mean it, at some point you have to just draw lines whether it's on a map or in the law or with the form of government that you're living under and as long as you can explain more or less the, why you're doing it we got to just accept it. But uh, why is the drinking age 21? I mean, I actually object to that. I think it should be 18. I think it's uh, silly that it's 21. But the point being, it, 
We just make these distinctions. You know, how old do you have to be to serve in the military? Well, you know, it depends. I think you can do it. I think you can. I think 17, right? Some of you know much better than me, by the way, of course. Celebrating Veterans Day. We'll talk more about that later on in the show. But thank you to all the veterans listening. We have a very uh, robust contingent of veterans that are part of Team Buck. And it is a great honor. I hear from them on a regular basis. And uh, it is a great honor that they are among those who join me here every day. And we thank them for their service. Um, we'll get more into that in the third hour. I just wanted to, didn't want to skip over that without mentioning it. So there's just this collective freakout that's happening right now. And they're saying we need to get rid of the Electoral College. So what, what would that mean? What would happen to states where there's a, a small population? As we said, look, California, what is it, 55 votes? I mean, it is reflected in the way that we tally, in, in the way that the presidential election happens. Um, but, you know, if you look, I'm trying to find what, the, uh, what some of the numbers were here for how some states. Okay, here you go. Under the Electoral College structure, this is on Huffington Post. You can imagine how commie this is about to get. Smaller states have enormous political leverage. Wyoming has a population of 584,000 and has three electoral votes, which means that each Wyoming elector represents uh, 194,717 voters. California has a population of 38,800,000 and has 55 electoral votes, so each elector represents 705,454. Well, if you're going to, you know, there's proportionality and then there's also just nothing. So we're going to we're going to give the state of Wyoming no say. Well, then why should the state of Wyoming have to obey federal law? Why at that point? Is it really their president if they don't get to vote for him? I don't know people say, oh, book, what about D.C.? D.C. is a special case. It's a federal protectorate. Come on. There are a lot of states that don't have huge populations, but we have the system set up the way that it is so that people who live in parts of this country that aren't densely populated still get some say in what goes on. But that they are saying that this is essentially just an extension of racist uh, racist compromises made in the 17, uh, 1780s and 1790s is just too much. It really is. Now the Electoral College is evil. That's what they've decided. We'll talk about secession. There's a secession movement, not movement, but calls for secession in California. We've got to address that, too. That would be hilarious. Uh, phone lines are open. 888-900-3393. We'll take some calls, and we'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. in Kansas. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Uh, man, with all this talk, I don't know if I want to go in with what I originally called about, but um, I'll just say, you know, with this with this uh, election, it felt like we were going into a high-stakes poker game. You know, it was, it was for everything. And when we nominated Trump, 
it felt like we chose to play that poker game in the back room of a gentleman's club. And that left a lot of conservatives just folding, not even playing the game. But election night came, and we pulled aces, and we get all of our debts wiped off in the form of executive orders. And we get the rights to the estate and businesses with the presidency, the Congress, Supreme Court. And I think you, you said it best the other day when you said you felt sanguinely optimistic. And so my question would be, you know, my original question last week was how do we, how do we uh, get across our conservative message in a, in a palatable yet representative way? And now I think it's, it's uh, the solution presents itself. It's, you know, who, who, are you, who would you fill your cabinet with? And how hard do you think the Republicans are going to fight us on this? For example, the term limit, that's already being met by Mitch McConnell. With yeah, you're never going to get term limits because the people, the people that have to vote on term limits don't want term limits. So that's the problem there. Yeah. This is like asking people to like but, give themselves a, a demotion, right? It's very tough to get people to do that. Yeah, and then, and then with the secession with the Californians, you know, I can't help but see this, like, if they would succeed in some parallel universe, I see this, you know, dystopian atmosphere, and all I can see in the inhabitants are, like, this emaciated pajama boy burning his Marx, Engel, and gender studies literature to cook his uh, partner's toy breed dog. You know, they're asking for more government, and, and which is less freedom, but, you know, they they crap their collective pants when they don't get their pick of authoritarian. It's a, it's a generational gap. Well, you know, if, if California got its way, as some were saying right after this, and, and uh, seceded from the union, the Democrats would never, win, would never win the presidency again for the next, like, 50 years. If California wasn't a part of the United States anymore, the Democrats are done. So this idea that that's a good, that that's a, a good solution for them is crazy, Patrick. It's crazy. I'm just going to say, they're, they're just freaking out. They're just, they're just in a rage. They're not even, they're not even uh, giving this any rational... Uh, any rational thought. Um, but Patrick in Kansas, great to talk to you, man. We're at time for right now. Uh, team, if you're on hold, stay with me. 888-900-3393 if you want to call in. We've got spots open. And uh, we're going to talk a lot more about some fun stuff in the second hour. So Freestyle Friday continues here in the free market. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back. We're joined by Andy McCarthy right now. He is a contributing editor at National Review and a best-selling author. Andy, great to have you. How are you feeling now that the election's done and uh, over with? I was feeling great until this morning. Buck, and then I saw that Bartolo Colon, the Mets pitcher, signed with the Braves, so I'm a little down now. I'll have to take your word for that. I haven't watched a baseball game in about 15 years, but I, I assume that that is a, what you're telling me is sad. So I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it, it, it saddened me. 
There we go. And and you're entitled you're entitled to be sad about it. Uh the the Clinton machine has been defeated once again. Uh you have a couple of a, a few pieces up, uh one on PJ Media and, and the others on Nash Review I want to talk to you about. First one is your unsolicited advice for the Trump transition team on national security and intelligence. What is your advice for the Trump transition folks? Uh that basically that they need to be very skeptical in whatever uh, intelligence-driven briefing books the uh, transition team uh, is provided with from the Obama administration. I was encouraged, Buck, to see that uh, President Obama has promised to emulate President Bush in the sense of uh, making sure that uh, the Trump team has a smooth transition. I think Obama was grateful for that uh, when uh, President Bush really did I, I think move heaven and earth to make sure that uh, his administration, even as though they were going to be very different on policy, at least was equipped to uh, be up and running, especially on uh, national defense, which is, of course, the president's major responsibility. And it's good that President Obama has made the same assurance uh, for uh, President-elect Trump. But I think the problem we get, and this is something you and I have been following for years, is that they've politicized the intelligence product. So, you know, I think there's cause to be concerned that, you know, what you're going to get in those briefing books may not be completely representative of uh, what national security decision makers need to know. And there's also a, a shaping on the other side that happens of the people with access and the way that they present information and the context in which they give it from from the intelligence community side. They are the primary customer is the president, and they, whether they should or not, try to uh, put things in such a way that they that it, they will align with the worldview, with the sort of strategic sensibilities, and just the the overall proclivities of the commander in chief. So, with Obama, you're going to have an intel community that's gotten used to doing things one way when it comes to trying to inform the president. I think that uh, a Trump presidency is going to be quite a wake-up call just in terms of what a difference it is uh, with the way Obama approaches information and also the people who gather that information. Yeah, I, I think that's completely right. I, I you know, I, I will have to see what kind of president Trump turns out to be. But I think Obama, singular among presidents, uh, maybe in all of American history, certainly presidents in my lifetime, uh, had a seems to have had a belief that a narrative well crafted enough can change the facts on the ground, and I think that puts the intelligence community in a very uh, awful, awkward spot because the intelligence community's job is to tell the president what the facts on the ground are, so that you can uh, not only protect the country but predict what's going to happen and be ready to react to it. I think it's got to be a very tough tightrope for them to walk when you have a president who doesn't want that, who actually thinks that uh, if he crafts a vision of the world, he can make the world conform to the vision. Um, and that could have gotten the intelligence community, which, you know, frankly, you're closer to that than I am. But um, it, I think it could you could easily see how it would get the intelligence community into some bad habits that'll have to be broken. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and there's going to be, like I said, there's going to be kind of a reckoning, I think, coming coming their way because Trump will have a very different – I don't know what his approach will be. I just know it will be very different from Obama's. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Well, what, what are you telling – one thing I've had to discuss with friends in New York that I've been uh, talking about this last couple of days, they say, you know, how bad is this going to be? And I keep trying to tell them – it's really not going to be that big. And I mean, people also on the national security side of things, it's not going to be that bad. I don't know. I'm not as concerned as as many others are. How do you respond to the to your uh, Democrat friends who either worked in law enforcement or, or national security or both who are saying they're just deeply concerned that Trump is going to do really crazy stuff like invade countries for no reason or whatever. I mean, this is a very intelligent people, I think, have gotten into a kind of hysteria about this, especially when it comes to Trump on national security. Well, I I guess my perspective on it, and I say this as somebody who was not a Trump person. I mean, I've tried to be helpful once the the race got down to uh, Trump and Mrs. Clinton. But, um, you know, frankly, I must say, after eight years of Obama, I have to laugh when someone asks me how bad it could get with Trump, because I think these last eight years, if you're a national security rule of law person, these last years of eight years have been atrocious. So, you know, my sense of things is we're going to get back. You know, the, the president is going to be a mercurial figure. And, uh, you know, we've seen that aspect of him. But the people around him, uh, I think, are going to be, you know, highly experienced people who know what they're doing. Um, I, I don't have any inside information, but, you know, if someone like Rudy Giuliani, who is a legendary prosecutor, ends up running the Justice Department, how could anybody get whipped up over that? I mean, who knows the Justice Department better than he does, right? So, you know, I, I kind of think the last eight years have been awful. And I, I no matter what I think of Trump, I, I and, and, you know, what my concerns about him may be, most of those concerns are along the lines of will he do what he said he was going to do during the campaign. There's a lot of things that he said during the campaign that I liked a lot. There's others that I didn't like so much. But uh, my question about Trump is whether he'll follow through. Um, I don't worry about him, you know, doing lunatic stuff. I mean, I, I must say, Buck, just to, like, try to fill it out to, to current events. Um, I've spent eight years listening to people tell me that by, you know, speaking out about Islam or doing things that defend the United States, that we're provoking violence. And what I have seen in the days since Trump has been elected is that some of the very people who claim that my words could provoke violence are out there being violent. You know, so... I'm more worried about that than I am about Trump. Uh, and if, frankly, I think, uh, you know, since my Democrat friends are, um, are worried about Trump and it's the reaction to Trump that has caused this, they'd be better placed um, worrying about and trying to discourage the kind of stuff that's going on in the streets of America right now than worrying about Donald Trump. I also think it's very quickly been lost in the conversation. Barack Obama had no national security experience, not any real national security knowledge, never served in the military, never served in the intelligence community, never served in law enforcement. I mean, his background was 
as a guy who kind of taught a little law and wrote a book about himself, really. I mean, that was his real right. expertise. That's it. <laughs> and and all of it, and yeah. nobody was, oh, well, uh, well, what's going to happen with our allies in the world? And actually, there's a case he made that he did turn his back on a bunch, on allies and upset them. And that's, that somehow is lost in all of this. Uh, I don't know why sure we're is. supposed to assume that, that Barack Obama was – or I shouldn't say assume, we're supposed to forget that Barack Obama was a total novice when it came to international affairs. I mean, people say, oh, he grew up for a while in Indonesia. That doesn't make you an IR expert. That's not how it works. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I think the thing, frankly, Buck, is that uh, he agrees with them on policy, so he they figure he's brilliant, and whatever he lacked in experience, he would make up, with, make for, make up for in brain power. And now... You know, comes along someone like Trump, who, you know, they they don't disagree with the latest iteration of his uh, of his political personality, uh, and therefore he's you know somebody who needs to be feared and uh, and dreaded. But I, I think everybody ought to take a deep breath and let's just see how things work out. I also want to ask you, we've only got a few minutes, but I want to ask you about your piece on National Review. Um, speaking to Annie McCarthy, uh, who writes for NationalReview.com, President-elect Trump did not create the movement, it created him. That's your title. How so, Andy? Well, you know, I think, Buck, since the end of the uh, the Bush administration, I, I'm going back to, you know, 2007, 2008, when the financial meltdown came down, there has been a grassroots American reaction against Washington. And it's not really, it doesn't tee up even as a Republican-Democrat issue. When uh, Angelo Cotavia wrote about it uh, years ago, he called it the ruling class against the country. And it really is, I think, it, that's a much better diagnosis of, uh, uh, of what the dynamic is than, than a partisan thing. And I know that that movement existed because we not only saw things come out of it like the, you know, the Tea Party and other grassroots reactions uh, to it, but I feel like I've been a part of it. I feel like um, a, a lot of us have been very concerned that Washington, as it accumulates power, becomes increasingly remote from the way that Americans live, uh, and it, it has habits that uh, are very different from those of ordinary Americans, including the fact that it's spending us uh, out of oblivion and really threatening the future uh, in a in a profound way. I mean, just just imagine if interest rates were to go back toward historic norms, what what debt service would be like because of the way the federal government spends money. So, you know, I, I think that movement has existed for nearly ten years now, and I, uh, you know, I, I commend Trump for recognizing it and for, uh, our, you know, convincing people that he could be the champion of it. He wasn't, he wasn't my first choice, but, uh, you know, that's not for me to say. He's the one that, uh, that people picked, and, and he won. But I've heard a lot of people say that he's created this movement, and I just don't think that's right. I think the movement was there already. He managed to, you know, give it a, uh, give it a charge and to, to be its champion, uh, and he certainly succeeded in this election, but I think he—I uh, I don't mean to say uh, exploit in a uh, in, in a disparaging way. I, th- I mean it in the uh, you know in the more literal way. I think he exploited something that was already there, and he did it very effectively. And you are hopeful, 
cautiously optimistic, uh, wait and see? Where are you on a Trump presidency at this point? Well, I, I don't look at it in a vacuum. I look at it in terms of what the available choices were. And having lived through eight years of Obama's presidency, and I know what I was worried about was a Clinton presidency. And I was a lot more worried about that than I was a Trump presidency. I have my concerns, uh, as I always do. But I also think that our experience tells us that the things that we're going to be talking about and worrying about once Trump is president probably haven't even happened yet and aren't even necessarily things that we've com- contemplated. And I've seen that happen, uh, you know, 9-11 is the most prominent example, but I think in almost every administration, um, something unanticipated happens early in the presidency, which in many ways shapes and defines what the presidency is. And it's not something that can be, uh, you know, predicted before the guy takes office. So I, again, I just think that we ought to, um, you know, take a deep breath, try to be helpful and hope for the best. You guys can read all of Andy's latest at NashReview.com. Give him a follow on Twitter. Also, he writes for PJ Media and he's a contributing editor at National Review. Andy, always great, sir. Have a fantastic weekend. Thanks for giving us some time. Thanks, Buck. You too. Uh, Team, we're going to go into a break here. We'll be right back. Hello? You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. some calls up. Irma from Massachusetts. Always lovely to hear from you, dear. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, I just want to thank God for you, Buck. I listened to all that you talked about today and your uh, uh, other people that were on there. And it is so rewarding because you uh, almost said everything that's in my heart. And uh, first of all, I want to quickly uh, uh, thank our veterans and I thank them with all my heart because I know what freedom is. But I wanted to go a little bit into um, the other side now, uh, which means how can we get our younger people um, that are totally oblivious to what um, this country is uh, involved in learning and healing? Because I just had an experience from one of my um, uh, young ladies coming back from her first um, um, a couple of months of work after four years of college and four years of high school education. And uh, she um, got to work on the 9th of November, and everybody in there was crying, and she couldn't understand how could people cry. But she felt she had made friends with the office people and everybody, and she was so upset that she couldn't even help anybody or, or cheer them up, you know. It means um, after all this long edu- uh, bad education, I mean, it started in the 60s in the schools, and it's been getting worse and worse. So how can we 
uh, find a way to educate our young people to trust again in the Constitution and to understand it. And and uh, so this is my biggest concern more than anything else. And um, I think many people that have young kids that now have to take over the reign in this world, you know, um, they they really need all the help they get, can get. Uh, who is able to um, to to do anything for our students that are now in school um, uh, to 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 lift them up, to bring them again to where they can read different books and and discuss them from different sides in a school and really learn to understand and and respect others' opinions. Uh, it is so lost here in 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 the school system, and um, I I just hope for the best. And I know you are doing your best to help. And uh, I am so happy. God, thank we have you. Okay, <laughs> thank you, Irma. Shields, hi, Irma. Thank you so much for calling in. Always good to talk to you. Good to hear from you. Um, I'm so sweet. I get so this is Friday. I get so happy we hear from Irma in Massachusetts. Uh, we got Matt in Arizona. What's up, Matt? Hey, Buck. How you doing today? I'm good, sir. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for asking. Happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans out there. Shield tie. Shield tie. Hey, I uh, wanted to call in today because with the uh, follow-up to the Trump election and and all of the talk of abolishing the Electoral College, it made me think back to March when I had first uh, started contributing for the Blaze. I actually put up two stories. The first one was actually about the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, where I defend the Electoral College from a basis of the Federalist Papers, and I also go after the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact from the standpoint of mass media's influence on an election that is time-sensitive. Yes, okay. So what did you, what did you say in the first one? we got about a minute. Well, what I had said there is... The Electoral College is the basis for our government to have a stopgap against a popularist dictatorship arising in our nation. And I quoted Hamilton extensively. Uh, and in you the know, second Federalist half, 68, I, I, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And in the, in the second half, I brought up against the uh, National Popular Vote Interstate Compact was regarding how early we have elections called these days, we would essentially be disenfranchising the western half of the nation simply due to the time the schools closed. Yeah, no, look, they, they are not giving an honest defense of the Electoral College. They're just throwing a tantrum right now. But uh, Matt's got some pieces. You can go check him out on TheBlaze.com. Matt Holloway, Blaze contributor. Great to have you, sir. Thank you. Um, team phone lines are open now across the board, 888-900-3393. Back in a few. This is The Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Team, we're joined now by our friend Matt Walsh. He is the author of The Matt Walsh Blog. Go to mattwalshblog.com. He's also, of course, a Blaze contributor. His pieces appear regularly on theblaze.com under his byline. And he does The Matt Walsh Podcast Weekly, available on the Blaze Radio Network. Great to have you back, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me, Buck. 
So uh, I just want to bring you on to give you a chance to talk about um, how surprised and proud you are that the Democrats are handling this whole thing really well. <laughs> they're, they're taking this. They're taking this like champs. Uh, they really are. They uh, they're fulfilling all of my expectations of them um, in, in in all the worst ways. You know, the, the, it's it's. I think it's probably true that uh, if. Hillary Clinton had won that you would see, you know, protests and I don't know about protests, but there, there would be a, a reaction, especially among the most ardent Donald Trump supporters. But I don't know that you would see anything quite like this. Um, and the, the one thing that strikes me about it is, as is often the case with these left wing demonstrations, is that I, I don't I'm not sure what they think they're accomplishing. I don't I don't know. I don't know what their what their message actually is. That's what confuses me. Yeah, there doesn't seem to. I I bumped into one of the the bigger protests across the country. It was right near my apartment here in, in New York City, and I stood there and for about fifteen or twenty minutes just watched the protesters walking by, walking by with their signs and their chants, and they just seemed like they wanted to scream profanity. I mean, maybe I guess it, it's just sort of an exercise in self indulgent catharsis or something. I'm not really sure what it, what the benefit is for them. But to come out after an election and say uh, that this person is not my president, uh, well, well, no, actually, the, it is your president. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't get to just decide that he's not your president. You don't have to like him. You don't have to think he's a good guy, but you don't have to or you don't get to decide that this is not reality. And I feel like maybe this is an extension of that. Progressives we've seen in recent years have increasingly been willing to just say things uh, that are that are not reality based, whether it's on some of the transgender issues and other things. And so with this one, they're just going to pretend there's there's no President Trump. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what that's what strikes me about it is that, you know, it's just a, it's an unwillingness to accept a reality that doesn't appeal to them. And I think that's become one of the hallmark, one of the hallmarks, unfortunately, of, of my generation, the millennial generation, is that uh, if we don't like something, we just we won't. It's not that we will express our displeasure with it, but it's that we, we simply won't accept it. We won't, we won't accept that this thing could happen that we don't like. And that's, that's what I notice is just this, this, um, this, the pure shock in, in, in people's faces and in their tones of voice that Donald Trump won. I mean, we're all surprised because as, as has been covered extensively, you know, it, it didn't, his, his victory didn't seem to line up with the polling data and all that kind of stuff. But these people seem to be surprised in a sense that they really didn't they didn't think that it could happen simply because they really didn't want it to happen and they thought that because they don't want it to happen that means it won't happen and so that's where their shock comes from it's it's not so much that this didn't line up with data it's that it didn't line up with their emotions and that's that's what they find so surprising about it i think you see that emotionalism on display as well from uh, the comedian class in this country no, notably uh I always get Fallon confused with who, who actually bothers me the least of them. I actually find him pretty funny. The guy who kind of was from SNL, the Weekend Update guy, you know, Seth Meyers, right? Yeah, Seth right, Myers Meyers gave yeah. some whole thing about, oh, you know, my eight-month-old daughter, and he's all, you know, mopey and sad. And Chelsea Handler, who is, you know, sort of was Amy Schumer before there was Amy Schumer, she's all upset about I'm sure Amy Schumer's crying about it. All, all these people... I, I'm sort of surprised to see them pretend that they care that much about politics. <laughs> That's what I find. I mean, you have people who are generally ignoramuses. I doubt they read the. I doubt they read any newspaper on any sort of regular basis or any news sites with any real regularity. 
and and now they're crying because their presidential choice didn't didn't win. I mean, this is is it just virtue signaling? Where does this babyishness come from? Yeah, and what's happened to political comedians? You know, what's happened to political satirists in this in this country that this is this is how they react to they cry. You know, that's not what comedians are supposed to do is get all tearful and emotional. You want to make jokes about it and uh, even ruthless jokes. That's that's fine. That's how you're supposed to handle it, not cry about it. I mean, the the open the open weeping that's that's going on is just is, is really sad. And uh, and the yeah, I saw that thing with Seth Meyers talking about his eight year old daughter. And there's been I think if you if you go to Google right now and you search for letter to my daughter, you'll find about 15 articles of various, you know, liberal uh, writers and bloggers writing these melodramatic letters to their daughters, like to, trying to explain how, you know, this awful misogynist could have possibly won. And, 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 and often their, their daughters are like three or four. And it's, I don't think they're probably going to read the, the letter or understand what it means. So it's just the, the melodrama and the, just everything. It's, it's, it's just a really sad display. And then as many people have pointed out, it, all it really does is, in, in some ways, in, in the, especially in the eyes of Trump supporters, it just kind of vindicates them because you're acting like these sneering, contemptuous, melodramatic snobs. And that's exactly what drove a lot of people to Trump. So yeah, all you're, all uh, you're accomplishing is is vindicating them. I totally agree. I think I think that Trump, Trump, for what you know, whether whether it's fair or not, Trump looks better at this point than he has ever before, based on the reaction of of not just a, a few people. We're talking about thousands. I mean, there were ten or fifteen thousand protesters in New York City alone. Many other cities across the country, they're burning stuff. Police are using rubber bullets, and then on top of that. There, there are members of the of the mainstream media who are not even the least bit chastened about just constantly being on on bended knee for Hillary during the entirety of the campaign. They're asking the American people to listen to the grievances of those who are kicking in windows of essentially entirely Democrat cities. It just makes no sense. I mean, isn't Baltimore? You're a Baltimore guy, right? Isn't Baltimore one of the places where they've had this? Yeah, yeah I'm actually currently in downtown baltimore right now as i speak and uh yeah there was a big protest here and and it's it just it's just interesting that i mean i don't know how many of these people that are protesting actually voted but i just i kind of suspect that a great number of them didn't even show up to vote because i think if they had um maybe the results would have been different because that that's one of the stories of the election is that the the voter turnout you know there just was no there wasn't any energy um on the left in the ballot box, which is understandable considering the candidate was Hillary Clinton. But now they find their energy. Now they find their enthusiasm a day late uh, and a dollar short, as it were. So if maybe if they had if they had channeled this energy into, you know, not only voting, but nominating a better candidate, then they might be looking at a different result. Um, but of course, that, that's actually what I want to ask you about, that. Matt. I, I feel like there's this uh, there's this disbelief on the Democrat side, not just that Hillary lost. Or I should say there's an unwillingness to believe that Hillary was was a huge part of the problem here. I mean, yes, Trump tapped into something. And yes, there you know, there, there was a, a bunch of factors that came together in his favor at this point in time. And, and, you know, we've talked about those. You've talked about it. You've written about it. But Hillary was a terrible candidate. That's that's a true statement. I feel like many of them, some of them have come around to this. Uh, and in fact, some of the, the Bernie Sanders people now are kind of wagging their finger and saying, I told you so. If I were a Bernie supporter, that's how I would feel. Hillary was a terrible candidate. Yeah, that's really, like you said, there are other factors that we could talk about. But really what it comes down to is th- that's the only factor that really needs to be discussed. 
because if they had found an even slightly better candidate, they would have won. I mean, it's it's not like we keep talking about how this was some huge wave election and it was a landslide and everything, and it really wasn't. If you look at the uh, maybe maybe you know it was the biggest electoral college landslide for the Republicans in a while, but when you look at the the number of votes, you know, I think I'm not sure what the final results are, but I think he comes in Trump comes in below what Romney pulled and maybe even McCain. So um, all they had to do was put somebody up there who was just, you know, how about just find someone who's not under two active FBI investigations? You know, find someone who has even a smidgen of integrity or can at least pretend to have integrity or some kind of charm or, or anything. And uh, and they just went with the, with the absolute worst candidate. And there is there's this real reluctance on the left to kind of look at themselves and analyze themselves. And uh, obviously there are a lot of problems on the right that we've all been talking about, but that's, part, that's, that's the point is that on the right, we talk about our problems and we're very sort of introspective in that way. And we're very hard on each other, you know? And um, I, you just don't see that on the left very much. And, and even now, they're just doubling down on the Yeah, no, they're, they're doubling down on exactly what got them to this point. But I think what's interesting is that there's been discussion of of how, you know, this was about jobs and a sort of a, a, a white working class that's been forgotten by the Democratic Party. That's already very much been infused into the sort of after after election analysis of, of what happened here. Um, less so, I think, the really what would be termed the culture wars aspect of this. Uh, under eight years of Obama, there was a, a a change, I think, from a general policy of tolerance for, right, you have to tolerate this and I have to tolerate that, to you actually have to be an active participant in and you have to be willing to celebrate things that maybe are against your religion or against closely held beliefs. I feel like that, and as well as also the restrictions that we have on speech that tie into those things and other things as well, I feel like the culture wars aspect of this election is perhaps underrepresented so far in our discourse about it. It is underrepresented, but part of the reason for that is that, uh, you know, the candidate on the, on the right that won is, is not a culture warrior. And uh, he didn't really talk about a lot of these issues. And when he did talk about them, he didn't talk about them very convincingly. Um, didn't seem like he really cared about them. That, that's one of, that's one of my, my big concerns about Donald Trump. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't like him in the primary or in the general election is because I don't think he cares about these cultural issues. Uh, however, um, it, you know, the liberals have upset a lot of people with the, with the kind of things that you mentioned. And so they went to Trump sort of as the default. Um, and now it's going to be up to Donald Trump to, you know, follow through because works, people are expecting him to undo a lot of these things and to restore free speech, to restore freedom of religion, um, to restore, you know, sanity to a large extent. And we'll see. I mean, I, I was a, a never Trump guy, but I'm going to give him a chance because what else can we do? And um, and if he and if he follows through, then I'll give him a ton of credit. And but I, we have I, to be uh, willing, you know, just like we're talking about the left and their and their unwillingness to criticize themselves. We have to remain willing to be critical if Trump doesn't follow through on these things. And uh, one last quick one for you, Matt. This weekend, whether one is celebrating or mourning the election's results, uh, Knob Creek. Good way to go. What do you recommend? Oh, um, well, I, I think Knob Creek is a, is a, is a great uh, is a great choice, especially on a, on a budget. But you know, Woodford's also a great choice, and uh, I would say Four Roses 
if you're looking for a good one, go with Four Roses Small Batch. It's about $45 in most stores. And uh, that's, that's going to be my go-to this weekend. All right. I'm going to pick some up. Matt Walsh, thank you very much, sir. Matt is the author of the Matt Walsh blog and also a Blaze contributor. He writes for the Blaze. Check out his pieces there and download his podcast. Matt, great to have you. Have a good weekend. Thanks a lot, Buck. Uh, team, we've got more. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Scott in Ohio. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, sir. Buck, how are you doing today? Freedom Hub. What's up, Scott? Hey there, Buck. How are you? Shields high. Shields high. Hey, hey, the all of this uh, protesting and talk about uh, uh, the electoral college is a, a real indicator that how far we've been led away from an understanding of what the role of our president is. He's, his job is to be our national representative, not the representative of the people. He's elected by the states collectively, not by the people. And we have uh, completely lost any understanding of that. If we, if we, what we really need to do is focus on getting the Congress to do its job properly so that people will be less concerned with who our president is because the fact of the matter is it's not nearly as important as Congress. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the discussion right now about the Electoral College has been so dishonest in the media. They're just pretending. Well, they're they're quite frankly saying that it's a holdover. It's it's, a, it's essentially a legacy of slavery, uh, and that that's what it is. I mean, this is what you have the New York Times writing this. Yeah, <laughs> anything to sort of justify in their heads the outrage, or I shouldn't say justify a, a, anything to um, give them some sense of of payback over the outrage that is Trump's uh, election. They're really bothered by all this stuff. But look, we, we have, a, repre- we have a, a, a representative system of government for many reasons. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize those reasons, certainly on the left. You know, I'm sure if I went on Vox right now, it, it could be Vox explained to me that there's really no need for the Senate anymore. We should just have, you know, representatives in the House and a portion. Yeah, they could come up with this stuff all day long. But it, it is about actually slowing down power. And I mean, checks and balances are not about efficiency. Right. It's, it's really it's really supposed to be about something other than it's, it's the opposite of efficiency. It's slowing down, exactly. making sure it is deliberate, making sure there are um, that when when the government takes certain actions, they're the right actions or at least they're actions that are reversible. Uh, this is it's not supposed to be, you know, you get it when you want it. And that's how our government works. And a lot of people on the left, I think, take that approach. Right, and uh, um, we've we've essentially assigned assigned um, the authority of a king to the person that we elect as president. Even through our conversations, through many of the of our of our past electoral uh, processes, we've we've said if this if this person is elected, this is what's going to happen. When when really the reason that we have all of these all of these people being elected and reelected is to keep anything from from to keep our system from being so volatile that one person's election can 
can turn everything 180 degrees in the other direction. I hear you, uh, Scott. Absolutely. Scott from Ohio, great to talk to you. Uh, team, we're going into hour three here in just a few minutes. Back in right after the break. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team. We're already in hour three of this Freestyle Friday. Most importantly of all, today we're going to talk for a few minutes here about Veterans Day. Today, Friday, November eleventh. Uh, we're joined by our friend and veteran Sean Parnell. He's author of Outlaw Platoon and ambassador for the Boot Campaign, and he was. A commanding uh, infantry pl- platoon leader in the war in Afghanistan for the 10th Mountain Division. He got two, he was awarded two Bronze Star Medals and a Purple Heart after an extended 16 month deployment in Afghanistan. Sean, uh, great to have you, sir. Thanks for calling in. Hey, thanks, Buck. I appreciate you having me on Veterans Day. Uh, just, I just wanted to, wanted to get your thoughts uh, as a veteran, as somebody who's uh, close with many veterans and. Uh, Today is a day when I think a lot of Americans do stop and think and hopefully thank uh, their veterans, uh, think about their veterans. What do, you, what do you want to tell everybody listening about what it means to you and, and what we should be keeping in mind? Well, I mean, there are 20 million veterans in this country right, right now that all have stories to tell. And I think it's the duty of every American citizen to learn a little bit about what they have to say and a little bit about those stories on Veterans Day. You know, I speak all around the country, talk to thousands of people a year, and it never, it, it always surprises me that at the end of all these events, I always get a couple people saying, you know, my father, uh, my grandfather was a World War II veteran, he never talked about his experience, we never found out that he even served until we found a dusty box of medals in the garage. And so, I always think what a tragedy that is, because there is a legacy there, a legacy of freedom that's being lost, because it's not being passed down to generation to generation, because a lot of veterans don't talk about their experience. And on the other side of that, a lot of civilians don't ask. So for me, Veterans Day is, is about remembering those generations of people that served and thinking and honoring their memory and honoring their service, but also learning about their stories so we can teach those stories to their children so that we as a people don't take freedom for granted in this country. Do you feel like right now the, the, the country is, uh, you know, there, there have been times in the past when, I mean, I wasn't alive, but just reading about the history, uh, when there was an almost contentious relationship between uh, some American citizens and veterans. I'm thinking specifically of the Vietnam era. Um, but you know, I was walking around the streets here in New York City this morning, and there was some sort of a staging, I believe, for a, a veterans parade down by me. And everywhere you saw people in uniforms and, and people were walking up to them. And this is in New York City and thanking them for their service. And veterans were always uh, very, very kind and, and receptive uh, whenever that whenever that happened. I feel like we are at a good place as a country for having a real respect for our veterans. We can get into some of the issues with the VA and such in a second. But in terms of at least the, the public, uh, the public understanding, the sacrifices, and I, I think that ties into 
partially into the fact that we've been in a few wars now and our, your generation, my generation and, and that above and, and below us have been deployed. He said there are many veterans from other wars as well in the country. And it feels like there's uh, there is an appreciation and respect for veterans right now. Oh, oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, our, our Vietnam brothers, when they came home, they weren't welcomed home. Uh, but one of the things that they did for us and for every subsequent generation of American veteran is make us a, a solemn promise that that would never happen again, that our veterans would always be welcomed home with open arms. And they laid the groundwork for that for us. And so every single American that's on the uniform after the war in Vietnam should be thankful to those guys for making sure that we're welcomed home property. And, and look, there's no question that we have it pretty good when we come home. Americans on either side of the political spectrum, left or right, appreciate what we do. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, it still remains only 0.4 percent, less than half uh, of 1 percent of the people in this country have served during the longest period of war in our nation's history. And these guys are coming back uh, and a lot of them need help. And that's why I'm proud. Like I was down with the American Warrior Initiative, which is the charity that I work with uh, in North Carolina today. Uh, and we gave a $30,000 grant uh, to a Silver Star recipient in, uh, of Afghanistan who lost everything, nearly everything in the Fayetteville flood. And so these are civilians in the community that are getting together to get back to our veterans to help bring them home. So you're right. We are very lucky, Buck, to have organizations uh, like this one that, that gives back to veterans and show their appreciation. Because really that's what it's all about is the community, at the community level, welcoming veterans home, learning about their stories so they can, like I said, pass that legacy down to subsequent generations. It's critically important. How are we doing at right now? Obviously, there were those stories out about uh, some of the VA hospitals that turned into quite a scandal. Uh, has any of that been fixed? I mean, how are we doing now at taking care of veterans uh, after their service? Well, I mean, <laughs> that is the whole I, I, I mean, I mean, at the government level, you mentioned the community. I mean, how's the government doing? Right. The go- well, I mean, I, I think I think look, everyone, every veteran is thankful for the, for the health care that we get at the VA. Uh, and I'm thankful for the for the health care that we get at the VA. But the problem is, is penetrating that calcified bureaucracy and getting veterans the care that they really deserve uh, when they come home. Most veterans, most privates that are 18 years old can't figure out how to navigate. It's a challenge for me as a senior captain when I was medically retired. It's going to be a challenge for an 18-year-old kid that was wounded and retired. So it's, it's a great challenge for veterans to get the care that they need at the VA. Uh, most of the people that, that have been implicated in scandals uh, in the VA all across the country have not been fired. Uh, they've been either shifted around within the VA uh, infrastructure uh, or just allowed to retire. Uh, and, and that's a problem. And that's a problem. And I think, I think that with the election of, of Donald Trump, I think he's going to do everything he can to hold people accountable at the VA. And I think that's what veterans want. Uh, so, I mean, I guess the bottom line is the answer to your question is we could be doing a lot better. We could be doing a lot better. Um, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily going to ask about uh, how, how Trump you think will handle the veterans, but since we touched on it, let's let's go there for a moment, Sean. He talked yeah, a lot about veterans, the it. campaign trail. It was one of the one of the things that I think maybe maybe subconsciously or not, people separated him from Hillary Clinton. Uh, I know every person who is active duty or a veteran that I spoke with that I know in my life, uh, and particularly those who are uh, have combat experience or forward deployed in the war zones. They took Trump over Hillary, no question, uh, which was interesting because no the sort of wonkier national security types were all, oh, Hillary understands the international order. 
the the ground pounders, the door kickers, the spec ops guys, all the ones that I talked to, no question, Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. Uh, do you do you think that there's at least a, a hopefulness within the veterans community that Trump will keep that promise? I, I think I, there's no question about it. And I'll tell you, just in the state of Pennsylvania, veterans turned out for Donald Trump in a way that has not been seen in the state of Pennsylvania since Herbert Hoover. Erie County, a county that's about an hour north of me, Republican has not carried Erie County since Herbert Hoover ran for president. He won areas in Pennsylvania primarily because the veteran community turned out and voted for him. So I think that, yeah, there is a a tremendous amount. I use the word tremendous, and I sort of laugh about it because that's sort of Donald Trump's word. But there's a lot of optimism in the veterans community. I think the idea of draining the swamp at the VA and getting rid of some of the bureaucracy to make it and, and get more clinical providers to make it a more efficient organization is something that all veterans want. You know, veterans, veterans, it's pretty simple. They just want people to held, be held accountable uh, for the things that they do. And if you do something wrong or, or veterans die on your watch and it's because of neglect, you should be held accountable and you should be fired. And I think most veterans believe, while Donald Trump is a little rough around the edges, and he certainly wasn't my first pick. I was a Rubio guy right off the bat. But you know what? I'm glad he won because I think it's the person that's best postured to fix all the problems at the VA. He's not going to be beholden to government unions that protect a lot of these uh, uh, employees that are doing bad on behalf of our vets. So I'm optimistic, and I, I certainly don't speak for all the veteran community, but I know we turned out for him in record numbers, and we're willing to give him a shot. For everybody listening, Sean, other than reflecting on the service and sacrifice of veterans, and if anyone listening gets a chance, I'm sure to, to say thank you to a veteran today. A lot of them are out in uniform, and I know there are lots of gatherings in, in spots all across the country to, uh, to you know, commemorate uh, Veterans Day. Uh, what can people do? Are there any work? Where should they go if they want to help? I mean, you mentioned you're involved in an organization. What are some of the organizations where civilians who didn't serve but just want to make sure they're doing whatever they can uh, for our veteran community? Uh, where should they go? What can they do? Well, I mean, first of all, you'd be hard-pressed to find an American that's not connected to the military in some way, whether it's a family member, uh, a friend, uh, a loved one, whatever, somebody that they know is in the military. And I would encourage them to reach out to them today, not only say thank you for your service, but say, look, you know, if you need to talk about your experience, I'm willing to listen and you're not going to hurt me with it. Talk to me about it. I'm there for you. That, that's the first step. The second, the second thing is, is I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention the American Warrior Initiative, which is my veterans organization that, that uh, I, myself and my team, who is amazing and make things happen. Go to the AmericanWarriorInitiative.com. We're a 100% organization where 100% of the things that we raise go to the veterans initiatives that we fund. We're one of the only organizations in the country that does it like that. Uh, we're a small organization, but we have a big impact. And you can get involved. We'll take volunteers. Uh, and we, we help veterans and their families all across the country. Uh, and we're proud to do it. So we'll take any help that we can get. So I appreciate you. And Buck, more more importantly, I appreciate the platform that you give me and other veterans to come on your show and talk, because this is critically important to bridging the gap between American citizens and the veterans that protect us. Uh, it's really, really important. And, I, you know, on this Veterans Day, I just wanted to make sure I thank you for that. Well, the honor is all mine, sir. So thank you very much for coming on. Sean Parnell is the author of Outlaw Platoon. AmericanWarriorInitiative.com, you say, Sean? Yep, that's it. AmericanWarriorInitiative.com, Sean's organization. Uh, You should definitely check it out. Give him some help if you can. He's an ambassador for the boot campaign. And, uh, Sean, we thank you for your call and for your service. Uh, Have a good Veterans Day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Buck. Happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day, my friend. 
Uh, team, we're going to hit a break, and then we'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Megan in Mississippi, you're on the Buck Saxon Show. Welcome. Hi. Um, I wanted to call and ask you about a reason uh, I was given as to why the rioting, or as they call it, protesting, is so bad. Um, somebody said that the reason why they're uh, going so hardcore with this is because they're hoping that if they make enough fuss that they will... Um, get the electorate to put their vote. I mean, I, I think I've seen that on the internet too. Uh, that's, that's not, that's not going to happen, but it is a, uh, it is a theory that people have. Uh, the uh, members of the electoral college, uh, I guess the, I, I don't even know if they're technically bound or, or how that even works. Um, but clearly that would undermine the whole system, and and I don't. It's not going to happen. Uh, but I would need to look into the mechanics of whether theoretically it could happen. Uh, well, but but I mean, I light, lighting a trash can on fire in Portland is not going to make the electoral college change its mind. You know what I mean? Well, you know that, and I know that, but they don't care. You know. But yeah, well, my, I, I think it might my, be they might be coming up. They might be trying to to justify the behavior in a sense by even having the distant possibility of some sort of a change of an outcome in the election, because otherwise they're just being a bunch of marauding, destructive idiots, right? So I think that's... Well, I was told that I am allowing for oppression of, you know, like special interest groups because I voted for Trump, even though I said that I did, you know, that he's not my favorite person, but I voted against Hillary. But that, that wasn't a good enough reason. So, but that was part of the conversation. But I was just... Wondering, um, oh, she knows what I was going to say. But anyway, that was okay. basically what I was going to ask. Yeah, that's a, it's a good question, and um, I hear you. Megan from Mississippi, so, thank you very much for calling in. Good to talk to you, Shields. Hi. Uh, Tim in Pennsylvania. What's up, Tim? Shields, hi, bud. Shields, hi, Tim. Hey, um, shout out to all the vets and their mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, and spouses. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to comment on, uh, I was at Irma that called from Massachusetts and how to educate her children. I, uh, my kids are all in their late or mid to late twenties now. And I, I always beat it not beat into their head, pounded into their head that, you know, years ago in the seventies, my dad went to work. He worked for a utility company, he made $40,000 a year and probably brought home $10,000 a year. And then when Reagan got in and got rid of all the uh, big government and the, the uh, special interest stuff, he made the same amount of money but brought home 75% of his income. And these kids that think they're going to go through college for free don't understand that rather than pay school loans back for five years, they'll be paying it for the rest of their lives if they let these lids get back in control again. I think that the it's interesting that they, that Hillary and and Bernie too really tried to sort of buy off the millennial vote with this idea that there would be free state college for everybody and, and that everybody should go to college. 
the problem is not that there are too few people with college degrees. The problem is that a college degree has largely been devalued in part because they're so common now. So that's yep. this is basic supply and demand stuff working in the economy. If everybody has a bachelor's degree, then having a bachelor's degree is no longer a, differenti- a differentiating factor between you and everybody else, right? So then all of a sudden it, it turns into, okay, well, I guess a master's degree might separate you or, or an MBA or a JD. Oh, well, now does, does the government pay for that too? Is everybody going to be in school till they're 24, 25, 27? Uh, it, it just turns into an arms race. I mean, college is a product and people should think of it as such. You are buying an education. You are buying a credential. Uh, what is that really worth to you? There, are there other ways to get that education? Are there better credentials for you? I know plenty of very successful people who did not go to college. I know plenty of brilliant people who never set foot in a college classroom, and they've done very well. So, and I think that that's and that's not to say that people shouldn't go to college. I'm not I'm not advocating that at all. I'm just saying that there should be more thought into the process and less into well, let's just make it free for everybody because taking the risk out of attending college or sort of the personal risk, right? Taking the personal responsibility out of college doesn't solve the ultimate problem of, well, is this going to get you a job, and is this the right move for you? Right. Indeed. My, my, oldest, my oldest son went to tech school, and now he's half my age and makes $2,000 less a year than I do. Uh, you know, there's... there's there, there are some jobs out there that are really needed and will be well compensated and that are, you know, high-skilled, and people will enjoy doing them, and, and it doesn't require you to have a degree in... You know, literature of uh, Southeast Asia from 1850 to 1920 or something. I mean, that's just not not necessarily something you have to do. So I hear you, Tim, in Pennsylvania. Good to talk to you. Shields high. Uh, Keith, Keith in Alaska. You're on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Um, Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. I I talked to my brother earlier this morning. He is in the military, veteran. Um, He's, uh, he works in the special operations department and he told me that they have already seen a difference in the way foreign countries are acting towards us he said it was almost instantaneous after trump got elected he said it's uh, looking much better already i'm, I'm excuse well, what's looking much better already i just lost you for a second in my he, ear there oh he, he's basically saying that uh that the way that sports you know some of the bad acting foreign countries are already changing their tune towards us. Uh, he said it happened almost instantaneously as soon as Trump got elected. Interesting. You're saying that some countries are, are already adjusting their behavior in a way that we would want them to because they realize with Trump things are going to be a little different. There's a new, there's a new sheriff in town, and this sheriff, uh, you, you don't want to be around if he's in a bad mood, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. He said he said it was amazing. He said it was it's he said it was almost instantaneous. He said I uh, the realization of uh somebody with some authority and power is going to be in position soon and they probably don't want to have to deal with uh Trump getting angry. All right. I hear you, man. It's sort of like I said a while ago that having Trump with the nuclear codes is having Doc Holliday with the street howitzer with the with the shotgun. You know what I mean? <laughs> All the, you know, there's that there's that side of it. Everybody's kind of like, whoa, what's this guy going to do? I was mostly I was exactly. mostly kidding, but I think it, there's some truth to it. Uh, Keith in Alaska, man. Great to talk to you. Shields high and have a yep. have a good weekend, brother. Uh, Trump as commander in chief. Hmm. It's going to be very interesting. Very interesting indeed. 
Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Obama legacy and some of that stuff on the other side of this break. So we got to talk about that. We've got a lot to finish up with here on the Bucks Action Show. Uh, some spots are open on the phones, 888-900-3393. We are freestyling, so I'll take as many calls as I can. And with that, I must give you leave for break for a couple of minutes here. Go get yourself a cortado or perhaps a macchiato. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Quick word from our sponsor this half hour, Yankee Hill Machine. YHM.net is the website. Go and check them out. They've got fantastic products. These are guys who are doing it all here in America. I've been to their shop up in Massachusetts. They go out and test this stuff out on the range themselves. Right now, some of their best sellers include up at YHM.net. Their 3300 Phantom M2 suppressor. Uh, They've also got the YHM 9680 flip rear sight. I mean, they are making awesome stuff, fully custom ARs. Uh, sound suppressors. They are well-known in the market now. They've been in business for 65 years. They're celebrating 65 years in business. Uh, they've got a whole section of closeout specials, sound suppression, new products, rifles. YHM.net, YHM.net, Yankee Hill Machine. Great sponsors of the Buck Saxon Show. We really appreciate them. We appreciate their excellent products. Uh, Connor in North Carolina, you're on the Buck Saxon Show. Welcome. Hey, Buck. Happy Veterans Day to you. Happy Veterans Day to you, sir. Well, I just wanted to make a point about these uh, protesters. They've, they're obviously sexist because they're out there shouting, hey, ho. And that's just so deplorable, isn't it? Wow, wow. What else See? you got for me, I, Connor? <laughs> well, there's a question that's been on my mind, and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but with the Republicans being in the position that they're in, they can repair all the damage that's been done by the Obama administration. Well, part of that damage is the divisiveness and, uh, well, divisiveness, really. How do how does Donald Trump and the Republicans intend to address that damage, i.e. these protests? Uh, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, Trump actually said that this morning, it kind of surprised me, he came out and said that he thought that the tr- protesters had spirit or something. I'm going to try to find what exactly it was that he yeah. said. But he kind of took a nicer tone. Uh, nicer tone for them, uh, towards them, rather. Yeah, which I was sort of surprised, because I don't think some of these protesters deserve a nicer tone. I think they deserve a swift, a swift <laughs> kick in the rear end. Uh, so, very, I don't know. Uh, there's going to be, there's not going to be a unity. Keep in mind, I mean, the Democrats are going to be furious about Hillary's loss for the entirety of Trump's presidency. They're never going to, they're never going to forget this and never going to lose down. Every person who is expecting to get a, a, a important job in the Clinton administration or was was counting on having connections to the presidency that would help them either in private business or whatever the case may be. They're all furious about this and they're going to want payback. So it's going to be very hard to to sort of get unity when you've got that going on. Uh, I think that a more important goal for Trump than unity is going to have to just be results, meaning forget about whether what people want or not do things that are good, that are objectively making the lives of Americans better. I think the tax code is a great place for this to happen. I mean, I mean, imagine all of a sudden your you know your your taxes are dramatically simplified and your taxes are a whole lot less than they are right now. 
you'll notice that. That'll make a difference. So I think that there are some places for Trump to uh, – he's going to have to do it with results because olive branches, you know, hugs and kisses, that's not going to get it done with these Democrats. They're, they're going to want to – they're going to want to mess up the Trump presidency as quick and as much as they possibly can. Oh, yeah. I'm waiting for them to blame Bush for Hillary losing. Oh, I'm sure, you know, they're going to blame Bush for, for the foreseeable until they can start blaming Trump for the next, you know, 10 years mm. for whatever goes wrong yeah. in the world. So we'll Definitely. see. Um, Trump's got some tough stuff that he's in. You know, the war in Afghanistan is going to go very badly. Right now we're out of the fighting season. It's too cold there. But the Taliban's in charge of a lot of provinces there. They essentially own the countryside, while the Afghan government only controls the major cities. Uh, well, we're making progress against ISIS in, in Mosul and, and in Syria, but in Syria there's still a lot of fighting to do, and Mosul's going to take many months. And as I've said before, and I don't mean to be sort of a, a fearmonger or kind of a quasi-Cassandra or anything, but you know we're one really bad terrorist attack away from changing our whole view of foreign policy and, and the war on terror again. So... We'll see. Presidencies are shaped by events more than anything else. And uh, he's not going to get any leeway. He's not going to have any honeymoon with the Democrats. That much is for sure. Definitely not. All right, Connor. Shield time, man. Have a good weekend. Rock and roll down in North Carolina for me. Uh, Mark Mark in Arizona, you are on the Buck Sexton Show. Good to have you. Hey, Buck. Um, First time caller. I actually started listening to you a year ago when I heard you on another radio show. You're filling in for someone. I'm not going to drop any names, but you kind of hijacked me from them okay well thank Uh, you um i'm calling because i just think it's interesting because i'm actually looking on twitter at all these riots and everything and it's funny because they're saying oh it's a peaceful protest it's a peaceful protest but then you see them burning things you know cops are getting injured and you see the paper mache replica of trump's head being burned and stabbed and blood coming out of it and i'm just thinking like why aren't some of these people who are doing that being investigated? Because I, if you recall a couple of years back when Obama won, there was that gentleman who was driving in Texas and he had an abort Obama sticker on his car. And he just said, I didn't, and he got pulled over. He said, I didn't want to kill anyone. I, I didn't want to kill Obama. He goes, abort means to stop to make him because I did not like his policies and I didn't want him to go through with it. And then later that day, the Secret Service showed up to his house. And along with that, there, there, there's that one guy who, that rodeo clown who wore the Obama mask. And the whole media just had an uproar with it, saying it's racism. They're saying it's a hate crime. And once again, you know, the government, they showed up to his house investigating him, and he actually lost his job. And I remember him, cause, just because he wore an Obama mask, and he had like a broomstick up his backside pretending to be like a scarecrow. Uh, yeah, and, I, I remember also there was an MMA fighter who I think said, you know, he wished Obama would get in the ring and he would teach him a lesson or something. And the Secret Service visited him. And it's like, does anybody really think that he's inviting Obama into the like, is, is that a threat against the president? I don't think I don't think the president was about to hop in an MMA ring with an MMA fighter. It just was. But, yeah, there was there was a, there was a hypersensitivity towards that then that you're not seeing with Trump now. Um, and, yeah, uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was just like, this isn't. What's going on here? Because I also seen tweets like burn the White House down. And there's also things of killing people as well. Yeah. Uh, wait, killing. Wait, what, you burn the White House. What are you saying? Repeat that. I've seen tweets online about burning the White House down. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I've also and I've also seen like I remember hearing that 
some a bunch a few sound clips of them fighting, protesting. We have to stand together, and like people are going to die, good people are going to die, but it's going to be all for the cause. Oh, there, I, I played one of those sound bites yesterday. And yeah, I'm pretty sure there was a journalist. It, yeah. I'm pretty sure there was a journalist who deleted his account or her account. I didn't, even, I didn't really look in the story; I just saw the headlines because it said it said something about how it's time for a presidential assassination. I mean that that's that's way beyond the. I mean, it's illegal. It's way beyond the pale. But that does give you some sense of how insane some journalists, journalists, you know, whatever we think a journalist is, uh, how insane some journalists have gone over this whole issue that even in even in jest and it's not funny and it's not legal uh, to, to write something like that out um, there. There is like a derangement that's happened, I, I think, because there was such an expectation that Hillary uh, that Hillary was going to win. They have not yet. The reality is has not yet really. Uh, sunk into their minds that no, no, it's going to be Trump. It's not going to be Hillary, and Hillary's never going to be president. By the way, it's it's all over. She's not going to be president. She's not going to run again. She's done. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's safe to say that. So, Mark, uh, I hear you from Arizona. Thank you for calling in. Shields high. Have a great weekend. Uh, speaking of Clintons and being done. Oh gosh, I don't want to be mean. I, re- I really I really aspire to be to never be mean. I, I fail sometimes, but I try to be nice all the time as much as I can be. And and I fail, but I try. Chelsea Clinton. Just not a fan. Not, and to say I'm not a fan is a real that's being too kind. Uh, I am hearing now that she's going to run for Congress. <laughs> this is the story today. Maybe this is all just whatever. But I have always been. Uh, somebody who thought that we have transitioned because of our celebrity-based culture, that's now completely taken over our political culture, and we have become dynastic with our politics. Now, I know Trump just beat Hillary. You could say, oh, Buck, but look at that. But the point is, the other, it was it was Hillary. We had a Bush running. We've already had two terms of Clinton. We had two terms of Bush. We had a Bush before that. We had, you know, you get on the line and you look at this, and there's this very uncomfortable pattern of what appears to be sort of hereditary office. I mean, yeah, we're electing these people, but the machinery behind the elections, as we know, and we've gotten a better sense of it thanks to WikiLeaks with the DNC, how potent and real that machinery really is, is trying to elevate the sons and daughters of politicians into high office because of their last name and their lineage. We should all be very uncomfortable with this. This was a big strike against Jeb Bush in my mind. And quite honestly, was I wasn't as politically active or interested then because I was in college and I was mostly uh, imbibing Popov and trying to get my work done. And you know, at Amherst, um, Popov is not—I would not recommend. Uh, it was a strike. It should have been a strike against George W. Bush too. Um, and Al Gore, I think his dad was a senator, right? So I mean, you go down the line. There's a lot, of, and well, the Kennedys. I mean, you go down. There's a lot of political dynasties, and I don't like that. And I think that we I think that we should be above that as a country. Uh, I know that right now saying that we're above anything in terms of who we elect may to some of you get a chuckle. OK, fine. But Chelsea Clinton is not somebody that has ever displayed grit, uh, wisdom, anything. Everything has been handed to her on a silver platter. And she does not understand anyone's struggle, not even the struggle of like an you know upper upper middle class white cisgendered American or whatever she's. Ultra connected, ultra wealthy, and everything has been handed to her. And what we've seen from the WikiLeaks emails is that she's actually bratty and entitled, which you can expect from people like that. Because why would how would they not be? 
in a sense, I don't really blame people like that because it's sort of, I mean, I always blame people for their actions, but you can see how it would happen that way. But now the Democrats, the Democrats really haven't learned the lesson. Now they're going to put another, if you saw her on whatever it was, 20 Rock or 50 Rock or whatever that show was called, Rock Center, I forget what it was, with very short-lived sort of news magazine show on NBC. She got paid $600,000 for 20 minutes of work, by the way. Uh, if you saw her on that, you'd realize she's also really charmless. Maybe in person she's nice, but she doesn't, she doesn't have any political skills. And now we're being told she's going to run for Congress. Why? We don't need another Clinton. The country has decided we do not need another Clinton. Your last name being Clinton does not does not guarantee you political office. It's just not how it works. So I just get very frustrated with that. Uh, you know, I think my, my one of my school, my grammar school invited her to speak or something like that. Apparently, my grammar school has been taken over by progressives, which is a shame because it used to be kind of a traditionalist Catholic school here in the city. And now it's been taken over and it you know, might as well be, I don't know, might as well be in these places where you just sit in a drum circle and sing songs from third world countries or something as a means of bringing us all together. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, she spoke there. Nothing to tell anybody, in my opinion. Nothing. N- no wisdom to share. All right. All right I got I to gotta hit a break and I'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. So I I love how much uh, hypocrisy has been exposed over the course of the last week or so. Uh, For one thing, and and these are I'm talking about writing of political journalists and people that are supposed to know this stuff and are trying to build credibility as part of their brand. You would think they were all in favor of Obama's executive orders, but now they write pieces. This is on political Trump. Poised to erase Obama policies. Uh, here's what Trump has pledged to do by executive fiat in key policy areas. Are, are they really that obtuse that Obama does something via executive order and it's great because he's Obama? Trump is going to do something by executive order and it's overreach? Th- th- this is the game they're going to play? Apparently it is the game they want to play now. The fact that it's so obviously partisan and it's about whose ox is being gored, uh, this is lost on them i guess i i don't know i mean they, they identify some areas climate change uh health care financial regulation immigration and gun control and obama's immigration executive orders first of all were challenged in the court so it's not even like trump would be rolling something back that by the way is think about that. i mean that was that was a close call there everybody because once once you give people a status to stay, very difficult to take it away. Although there is a piece in the Washington Examiner today saying that those who who sort of registered for these amnesties are now on lists with their name and address and everything saying, hey, I'm illegal. I want to be a part of this amnesty. And there may not be an amnesty. That creates quite a conundrum, I think it might uh, what do you do with the people on that list? You're gonna, are you going to punish them for trying to take advantage of an Obama policy that is no longer a policy? 
But see, this is part of the danger of executive orders is that when they go into real policy issues instead of just the function, you know, the sort of functioning issues of government, uh, it's supposed to be minor, minor things here or there or things that clearly fall under the executive purview. Instead, Obama, you know, he got a pen and a phone, right? Got a pen, I've got a phone. And he was going to just go around the legislative branch. And it set a terrible precedent. And now that precedent has been set. Donald Trump might go down the same path on some things. Liberals have no standing. The liberal media has no standing to complain about this because they cheered it on when Obama did it. And people like me and you, we told them at the time, just wait, just wait. I think they thought that there would just be Democratic presidents for the foreseeable future. And by the time there was a Republican president, the country would be so progressivized that we couldn't turn back. Well, guess what? Trump won. Now he's got a pen and a phone made of gold, the finest gold, encrusted with jewels. But nonetheless, we'll have to get more into this next week. It is a very interesting area, and the possibility of undoing Obama's legacy will be something that gets liberals in a panic, and Trump can do it. Uh, all right, team, have a fantastic weekend. Uh, please do download the show. Go to, go to theblaze.com slash buck-sexton. That is now the new Buck Sexton page, buck-sexton at theblaze.com. Until Monday, everybody, no matter what, Shield time. Thank you, sir. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.